Aloha, Kauai Bible Church. Aloha. And for those that don't know me, I am Mark, and this is my wife, Valerie. And like Fran said, we are finishing up the series called Family Ties. This is the final segment. And if you remember, the overarching theme is every member of your family finding and fulfilling their purpose in God's family. And the verse that we have for that or that was given to us is from Galatians 6.10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Now, we were given three words at the beginning of this year. One of the words that pastor preached on uh, several weeks ago was pioneer, and he talked about the pioneering spirit that brought Kauai Bible Church here from Oahu. And then last week, Fran did an awesome job talking about Ignite, using the Smith's Tropical Luau as a great example of Ignite. I don't know if any of you have seen that show, but I remember seeing that arrow, that flaming arrow going flying apart, igniting that volcano. And today, our word is nourish. And we're going to use uh, two verses as our base for the word nourish. And it's from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. It says, in pointing these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ. It goes on to say, constantly nourished. And I like that, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. And then the other verse is from John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. What a great scripture to talk about, nourish, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different, friends and family. We're going to combine this concept of nourish into our recent trip to the Middle East. We're going to combine it with these concepts that God has given us using that word nourish. And we want to illustrate how we can be nourished with the word of God, with Jesus. We're going to talk about spiritual preparation, spiritual nourishment, physical care, physical nourishment, emotional care, social care, nourishment. And we hope that this will nourish you as much as it nourished us. Now, I, I want to ask you, friends and family, if you may have a little grace with us, because we've got a lot of slides, and this was what we call a trip of a lifetime, and we had so much fun, and we want to share that with you. So bear with us. <laughs> so why the Middle East? Well, it wasn't our original plan. I can tell you that. Our original plan to celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary, and side note, anniversaries are absolutely amazing to us. We want to celebrate every anniversary, particularly those that end in zero, like 10, 20, and 30, because God gave us such a marriage testimony. Most of you do know about it. Um, early in our marriage, we were separated two and a half years and God put us back together. And we just want to thank him for the miracle of that by celebrating every single anniversary. So on our 30th anniversary, we were going to go to the Olympics in Japan. But you know what happened? COVID happened. And so they canceled 
uh, any spectators. So we salvaged as much money as we could back from our plans. And then we prayed and we asked God, what, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to celebrate? And we are sport hounds. We are not sport fans. We are sport hounds. We love sports. And so we thought, well, let's look for another sporting event, major sporting event, maybe the Olympics later. And as we prayed and as we talked about it, we decided, you know what? Let's go for it. The biggest sporting event in the entire planet is the World Cup. Now, that is we call it in America soccer. They call it internationally football, international football. But I'm going to call it soccer. All right, so the World Cup happens every four years. And it just so happened that the World Cup, most of you know, happened in December of 2022. So about a year ago, we decided that's what we're going to do. So I looked into the packages that were available to Americans. And we decided to go to the finals week of the World Cup. And so we were so excited about that. And then Mark said, hey, you know, we've always wanted to go to Israel. In fact, we were signed up for two different trips from uh, tour groups that were leaving from Kauai over COVID, but they both got canceled. And so Qatar is where, Doha, Qatar is where the World Cup was going to be held. And it was in the Middle East for the first time ever. And so, hey, you know, it's not that far. It's still the Middle East. Let's go to Israel. So we decided to go to Israel, and we purchased a born-again Christian tour package called Pilgrim Tours, and we were so excited, and it was so awesome. That was about a year ago, like I said. Fast forward a few months, I broke my knee. Most of you remember that. And God told me during that time, don't miss the blessings that I'm going to give you through this. Well, one of the blessings just happened to be my rehabilitation of my knee because my physical therapist suggested to us that while we're in the Middle East, he actually would go to Jordan and see Petra. Why don't we do that? And so we were like, oh, Petra. And we look it up. You know, it's one of the seven wonders of the world. <laughs> it's like... Wow, you know, as long as we're over there, Jordan and Israel border each other. It's like right next door. So we might as well do that. So that is why we ended up in the Middle East. So, Antonio, if I could have that first slide. Uh, one of the questions somebody asked was, well, how did we get there? Well, this is the route that we took. We flew from here to Seattle, spent a couple days in Seattle originally because we were going to have to get COVID tested and have uh, negative COVID tests to get into Qatar, but that changed, so we didn't change our plan. So flew to Seattle, spent a couple days in Seattle, and then from Seattle flew Qatar Airlines nonstop for 13 and a half hours. That route, kind of going over the top for about 7,500 miles. So the total length was about 9,500 miles. And then the second question people ask, well, what's the food like? So the next slide shows you a typical Mediterranean diet. This is the typical type of food that we had nearly at every meal, depending irregardless of where we're at, whether it's Qatar, whether it's in Jordan or Israel, we always had pickled vegetables, including, and especially olives, olives of different kinds. And you can see that in the lower right-hand corner. Then right above that, you'll see a big dish of white kind of stuff. That was hummus. So there was always hummus at every meal. And then we also had lots of bread, whether it's flatbread, pita bread, or all different types of bread. And then we also had uh, plenty of dates, usually, and I brought some dates back, usually for a dessert. Cheese, yogurts, veggies, chicken, beef, and fish and fruit. And this, um, this reminded us of that scripture in 1 Corinthians. 
I have to look it up here. I forgot to do that. So give me a minute. 1 Corinthians 10.31. I'll just interject and say that hummus was absolutely spectacular. Everywhere we went, they had it world whipped up. It was so creamy and so awesome. And then they had different kinds of hummus as well. So that was one of my favorites, as you can tell. So 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all these things for the glory of God. And so that's what we, we focus on as we ate. We not only nourished our body physically and we took care of our bodies physically, but we also did it for God's glory. And we used every opportunity, wherever we were, to share why are we here. We're here to celebrate not only our anniversary, but how God restored our marriage. So I'm going to take you first into Qatar because that's the first place we went to the World Cup for finals week. And it's hard for me to even imagine right now that we actually did this. It's absolute, it was absolutely supernatural. It was so amazing. So this month-long tournament was going on. And actually, a year before, we chose our teams. Mark chose France, the defending champions. And of course, we're rooting for America, you guys, all right? But we were also realistic and <laughs> realized that finals week, probably beyond the reach, unless it was like a miracle on ice, like the hockey team, you know, in 1980. Anyway, um, so Mark, Mark chose France because of a, a, a young phenom named Kylian Mbappe. And he, he is remarkable, maybe considered toward the end of his career the best player of all time. But right now, I chose the best player of all time. And that is my favorite, Lionel Messi from Argentina. Now, Lionel Messi, I just, I could go on and on about him, but let me just tell you that he won everything possible. Every single honor, every single award possible in, in the world of soccer, except a World Cup. So, it really would be a fairy tale ending if we went to Qatar, Doha, Qatar, and we watched him win his World Cup at the end of his career, toward the end of his career. So I can tell you that both of our teams made finals week. It was absolutely a miracle. They both made it. We got to see the semifinals. We went to the France game and um, here's some of the pictures up there. Um, that's actually at the finals. But we, we are dressed in our gear. I'm in Argentinian gear, and Mark is in the France gear. And so anyway, we, we saw France win, and then we saw in the semifinals, and then we saw Argentina win in the semifinals. And then it went into the finals, and our teams played each other. Can you believe that? I mean, it's like God was nourishing our emotional health, our mental health. Through that, the desires of our hearts, it was absolutely incredible. So, make a long story short here, they're calling it the match of the century. I'm not kidding. We were there. Unfolding in front of us was the match of the century. Argentina scored twice. Then Mbappe came back and scored twice. And at the end of the game, regulation, it was tied. So they went into overtime. They go into 15-minute overtime periods. In the first overtime, Argentina scored. In the second overtime, Mbappe scored again <laughs> for France. And so at the end of overtime, it was still tied. 
And so that what they do in soccer is they go into penalty kicks, and they choose five from each team, and then they, they kick, and they, it's like 15 paces, um, and the goalie tries to, <laughs> tries to keep the ball out of this enormous net, and it's, it's like almost impossible to miss, seriously. And, you know, Lionel Messi made his his penalty kick, but so did Mbappe, and so they had to keep kicking, and finally, the Argentinian goalie came up a hero. He stopped actually two penalty kicks, and the game was over, and the fairy tale ending happened right in front of us. We could not believe it. It was absolutely spectacular, and this last slide here is a slide of us outside of the stadium. Afterwards, that stadium was absolutely spectacular, just beautiful. And it was golden, and it was sparkly and everything. And inside of it is 90,000 fans, and probably 10,000 people taking care of those 90,000 fans. So inside of that building were 100,000 people watched this whole match of the century. And at the end of it, nobody left. You know how, like, the losing team, they usually filter out, you know, and people keep going, you know, it peters down to a few people left at the end cheering. No, nobody left. 100,000 people still there for two hours while they presented the ceremony because they knew they were watching history being made right in front of their eyes. Nobody left. Keep that in mind. So here we are leaving the stadium, right? 100,000 people trying to all leave at once. And we wanted to go home, too, but we weren't feeling all that great. And we actually uh, went to the same stadium for one of the, the semifinals and took the metro or subway there and the metro back and knew what that was like. And we didn't want to get into a pack of crowds lined up waiting for the metro. So we decided we're going to take an Uber there. Man, we shot right there. No problem, right? And then on the way back, we said, oh, yeah, we'll take an Uber back. They had an Uber waiting area called Uber. You know, you can see where the car is, you know. And so it says it's only two miles away. So we're saying, great, he's going to come pick us up. He doesn't move. So we said, okay, we're going to start walking to you. And he says, okay. And we walked maybe a half a mile. And he still hadn't moved. He was all jammed up. So we told him, forget it. We're going to get another way home. We ran into another taxi cab driver that was taking an Argentine fan to his place. He said he'd give us a ride. We hop in. We jump into traffic. And then we're jammed up. And taxi driver all of a sudden says, you know what, where you're going is too far. And if I take you there, I want to charge you double. And we said, no way. So we jumped out of that car and we started walking. We yeah, didn't even we, have the money. We didn't we, even have that much money. So we started walking and we met up with this young university student who spoke English. He's from Qatar. And he was telling us, if we just get out of this area, we'll find an Uber. Because he was looking for an Uber too. So we walked and we walked and we got out of the area but the Ubers were still all jammed up. So he says, if we just walk a little bit more, we'll get out of this area. And we walked and we walked and we walked and finally said, hey, I gotta go this way. If you don't find an Uber here, there might be a metro over this way. And we said, okay. And at that time I started looking for an Uber and I heard Val pray. Lord, we need you. I'm like right behind him. I, we need you. We're in a foreign country. It's after midnight. We don't know what we're doing. We can't speak the language. We need you. And all of a sudden these two guys pull up. Next slide. Okay, I want to introduce you to these two guys. The guy on the left is Abdul Azir, and to the right, his cousin, Abdul Azir. 
and these guys were university students, computer science students, and they stopped and said, you guys need some help. And Val said... I said, we desperately need help going back to our hotel. We need a ride. And uh, the driver said, well, where are you going? We told him where we're going. He starts looking on his phone, how far it is. The other guy says, yeah, we'll give you a ride. And the driver says, wait, 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 let me see how far it is. The guy on the right says, just jump in. And the, finally, the guy and the, the driver said, okay, I will give you a ride. And so we jumped into this, what I call the Qatar Cadillac. We saw him all over the place as a Toyota Land Cruiser, but the high-end kind, you know. And we jumped in, and they drove us all the way home. We had great conversation. They wanted to get to know us more. They wanted to take us to their penthouse. They wanted to feed us dinner. And we said, no, we've got to go home. We've got a plane to catch the next day. But it was just a... Uh, it was a, a blessing from the Lord, and it reminded us of that scripture in, in Psalm 91 that God will give his angels charge over you to protect you in all your ways, and that he will lead us, and that he will protect us. So we were so grateful to these guys who gave us a ride for about an hour all the way home. They just dropped us off and then left. Free. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, God just answered our prayers, obviously taking care of us. So this next slide, you're going to recognize somebody in uh, one of her favorite positions. There I am with my batons. And what had happened was, um, you know, we, we got to Qatar and we were feeling exhausted and we just thought, oh, you know, that's, that's jet lag, right? We went halfway around the world. So it's jet lag. Well, jet lag second day, jet lag third day, jet lag fourth day. And we're like, no, this, what's going on? This, this is weird. So I said, well, <laughs> I know what usually helps me, and that's exercise. So I'm going to go out and twirl. And Mark said, great, I'm going to go to the gym and work out. So I went out and twirled. And it was wonderful because um, I got some exercise, first of all. And it was a beautiful day. And the manager came out, one of the managers, and he filmed me. He videotaped me doing my performance and then put Moven Pick Hotel in the background. And I'm supposed to put that online, I just realized. And I will put that online and tag Moven Pick Hotel for, uh, for them because they did that for me. Um, we're not going to show you the video. I can show it to you later. But in essence, what we tried to do is we tried to take care of ourselves by doing some physical training. First Timothy 4 8a says, for physical training is of some value. Yes, it goes on to say, but godliness has value for all things, on and on. But it does say physical training has some value. And so we were trying to use that principle and take care of ourselves physically that, because that was really important. And with all the endorphins and adrenaline, we felt better for about an hour. <laughs> and then we crashed again. So that... Um, spent, we spent about a week in Qatar, and our next uh, assignment was to go to Amman, Jordan. So the next slide is where we stayed in Amman, Jordan, and that's our, the owner of the, of the rest of the hotel. It's a small boutique hotel called La Locanda, and her name is Rajat. And Rajat took really good care of her. Her and her staff took care of us in, in such a phenomenal way. I needed some antibiotics. They took us to the pharmacy. I got over-the-counter antibiotics without having to see a doctor. Um, they, they brought me lunch the next day. The next day was our, a down day, so I just rested the next day. Again, nourishing my body, knew that I needed the rest. Val did some shopping, but she came back and brought dinner, and we just rested that day. But I want, want you to notice one thing, that she is flying above her head is the Moroccan flag. Now, Morocco is a Muslim nation that made the, the semifinals. And all the Muslim nations, because they 
Morocco, I think this is the first time any Muslim nation made the semifinals of the World Cup. All the Muslims were rooting for Morocco. And of course, here's an example of a Jordanian hotel flying the Moroccan flag in support of them in the World Cup. The next slide also shows that we took care of ourselves medically in Israel. We had to go to a doctor to get antibiotics for Val. So we did what was necessary in both countries to take care of ourselves physically, whether it was resting, getting medicine, receiving help, all those things, we nourished our bodies in those different ways. So then from Amman, Jordan, we were going to Petra. Now, Petra is one of the oldest archaeological sites. They have done excavations to uncover an amazing, unbelievable city there. And so first thing we did was when we arrived, it was in the evening because it took all day to get there and see a few sites along the way. We went to the front desk and we um, checked in. While we were checking in, we witnessed to this man, uh, no, let's see, yeah, we witnessed, actually not to this man, this is the head of things, so keep it at that slide for a minute. Um, we witnessed to the people that we were checking in with. And we told him we were there for our 30th wedding anniversary and that God had put our marriage back together after two and a half years of being separated. And now we're at 32 and a half years. And the manager said, I'm going to give you the honeymoon suite. I know. It was so cool. It was beautiful. And so at the Petra guest house, we stayed in the honeymoon suite. So in the next... Um, in the next few minutes, we decided that we needed to say something to our guides because we just, we realized we were still sick. Both of us were, you know, come battling this, whatever it was that we picked up. And so we said, we're not going to be able to do the tour that we thought we could because we were on this tour that was a day long tour and they had warned us that it was going to be a long, a lot of walking, kind of hard. And we thought, oh, you know, we're athletes, we can do that. Well, God kind of humbled us and said, no, you're not going to do that this time. So we told them, can we do the half-day tour? And they said yes, and then we arranged, because they wanted to pick us up at 7 a.m., we're like, no, <laughs> please, let us sleep in, eat breakfast, and then we'll go. And so they arranged for us to meet our guide, and this is our guide at 10, 10 a.m. So this is our guide with Mark. His name is Ali. And Ali is Muslim, and he is also a Bedouin. Um, the Bedouins are nomadic people that live in, actually in Petra, they live in the rocks, in the caves, they have tents. And I call them nomadic because a lot of the tribes go from one area to another. They go w with the weather, they take care of sheep and goats and horses and camels and all kinds of things. Um, so it's pretty interesting that he came out of that type of lifestyle and went and got educated as a historian and then became a guide. And we got him, and he was absolutely wonderful. And so what we did was we witnessed to him. We started telling him the Holy Spirit prompted us. We started telling him about this is why we're here, you know, 30 years of marriage and all that. And God put us back together, and we're so grateful, and Jesus is Lord and all that. Okay, so what he does is he decides that he's going to take us to some places that visitors don't usually go because he knows he's a Bedouin. He knows these back caves and, you know, places like that. So we'll go ahead and show some of the slides now. This particular slide is on the road to Petra, and you can see how beautiful 
that the side rocks are, but you can also notice how big they are, and you're just going to be, keep going, you, you're just going to be astounded. Look at this. This is carved in the stone by ancient civilizations that live there. How did they do this type of thing? I have, I have absolutely no idea except for that God gave them the capabilities of doing these things. The, that, that slide was called the treasury. And this is in us in one of the caves. And you can see that the photography is pretty cool. That's also Ali. He is, has become a, a great photographer as well. And so he had us pose for these wonderful pictures. There's another one. You can see how beautiful those rocks are. God's creation is absolutely astounding. Now, this is a woman that is actually a Bedouin. And she had her wares all set out to... Um, sell me some things, and I ended up um, negotiating and getting a few things. But she also lived up there, and she had a tent, and her family lived there. So that would be the next thing. Okay, so we actually felt like that all the witnessing that we did was part of taking, taking care of ourselves spiritually. And it reminded us of Revelation 12, 11, And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when they faced death. It's not legal to proselytize and to talk to Muslims about Jesus. But we have a higher power, the Holy Spirit, who guided us and opened the door for us to do that with a few people. And so we did that and planted seeds but certainly it's part of taking care of ourselves spiritually and living Jesus out loud. Another step towards that is the next slide. Or this slide, actually, go back just once there. This is actually in route to the Jordan River to see the Jordan River to see a baptismal site. Well, on the way there, our tour guide, just like Val said, we witnessed to him. And, and God just, when, when we did that, it seemed like God just opened up doors that wouldn't have opened up even with a $100 bill. He showed us this place that he said he believed this is where John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Due to some archaeological structures around that area, there's a spring here. It's not actually the Jordan River, but it's a spring that feeds the Jordan River. And I'm not going to go into the details of why he thought that was, but he shared that with us. And we thought that was so special. But he went on to lead the tour that we were on with about 15 people. Now the next slide. Here's uh, the Jordan River, and you can see on the other side of the river is Israel. So on one side is Jordan, and the Jordan River is the border between Israel and Jordan. And here's uh, a site where most people would do their baptism. There's stairs leading into the river, and there was a group that was along with us. Some of them were Americans, and, and they got in the water, and somebody asked this one guy as he's in the water, how do you feel? And he goes, I feel like Jesus. <laughs> We later talked to him, and he was from Washington State, and he was actually ministering to a Palestinian friend of his that was there on the, on the tour. And so we had an opportunity to share with him, and together we prayed for that Palestinian, prayed for him to, to, to continue to witness to him and that that Palestinian would see the glory of God. So it was a, a spiritual time for us not only to see the places of Jesus being baptized, but also to be witnessed or ministered to and to minister to other people. Now, I said before that Jordan and Israel border each other. So our next move was to go over the border into Israel. And the next slide um, shows something that we found on all the doorsteps, everywhere we went, and even in the hotels. And that is in Israel. 
in Israel. Yes, as we went into Israel, we found this. And it was attached to all the doorposts. Um, maybe you remember that God actually says, you know, put the word of God on your doorpost. Put it, you know, put, wear it. You know, the tails, some of the Jewish people wear tails of scripture. Um, but these are called mezuzahs. They are prayer related to God's presence and, from the, and also remind them of the commandments from Deuteronomy 6 and 11. So the next slide is the common dress of the Jewish people. We were really privileged that God guided us to stay in the Jewish quarter. We found a vacation rental in the Jewish quarter. It was a basement apartment, small basement apartment. We were so grateful that we had rented from this Jewish man named Ori because we got to see these kinds of things. And when we first got, when we actually, before we first got there, we talked to Ori, and he recommended that as soon as we get there, he said, don't unpack. Go, excuse me, go immediately to this market that was um, close by, Mehene Yehuda Market. It's a very famous market. Here is the market in the video. And you can see I'm victorious. I have gotten some candy, and I was going to, now I have to pay for it, and I'm trying to get some, the attention. And you can see that all those wares and all those people in there, I'm telling you, that even doesn't depict it very well because we could, in some places in that market, you could barely move. There were so many people. Why is that? Well, because we arrived on Shabbat Shalom, which is the Sabbath, that's what they call it, Shabbat Shalom. So here we arrive on the Sabbath, and Ori is warning us, everything is going to shut down. There will be nothing available, and I will also not be available to you. And so you better go to this market and get as much as you can, and then, you know, all your needs for the next two days. Um, because that's, what is, that's what's going to happen. So we went to the market, and we spent three hours trying to get just a few things and supplies. And then we went back to the apartment, and we called Ori again. And he gave us another recommendation. He said, go ahead and put everything away. And when you're ready, go outside. Because the atmosphere is going to be changing. Look at that. That is Mahani Yehuda Market. There's nobody there. No one is open, not a soul. And I'm, I tell you, every Jewish person in the whole neighborhood was, was there before. Not only was it the Sabbath, but it was also the last day of Hanukkah. Oh, my gosh. So all the whole, everybody, seemed like, was there. And now, absolutely no one's there. So we walk back to the Jewish quarter, and we notice that the candles were all lit on the menorahs. There's a typical menorah that's outside of each of the houses. Everyone had a menorah outside of their house, and every candle was lit because it was the last day of Hanukkah, and we've celebrated that here as well. So that was, that was absolutely astounding. That would have been astounding in and of itself, but also what happened is the atmosphere truly did change. These people got in their best dress, and they went into the synagogues. And the synagogues were no bigger, probably smaller than Kauai Bible Church. They were, they were stuffed in there. So many people, and they were separated, males on one side, females on the other side. And they were praising God at the top of their lungs, singing and reading scriptures. And it was so beautiful. The atmosphere truly did change. It was, it was 
such a blessing from God that we had found out about this Mahani Yehuda market and how famous it was, and we found a vacation rental right there so that we could participate. We could actually not participate in what they were doing, but we could we could be part of it and see the Jewish life unfolding right in front of us on Shabbat Shalom, the Sabbath, and Hanukkah. So family and friends, I'm going to take you on a quick tour of Israel, but I wanted to let you know that uh, we started a six-day tour with this born-again organization called Pilgrim Tours, and this is our tour guide. His name is Mickey. He's a born-again Messianic Jew born in Russia and now lives just outside of Jerusalem. And I want you to notice what he has in his hand. He's got a Bible in his hand. His goal was to bring us to sites throughout Israel that would bring the Bible to life, and he did that. He uh, was also a funny man. He had funny mannerisms, like he would call us my friends, may I do this, would you mind if I do that? So I kind of honored him by saying that to you at the beginning. Um, he also referred to himself as our Jewish mother. So if I say Jewish mother, that's what he's referring to. Um, the next slide is our spiritual tour guide. This man is a former pastor from Texas that was on our, our tour, and he's also a, a very humorous one. He would start our tours daily with a devotional and with some humor, and this is just one of his humorous ways of pointing out stars and bucks. We also had a wonderful group that was a, it was like a church body like you that cared for each other physically, that cared for each other spiritually, and they were from all over the world, from Australia, from South America, from Texas, from Canada, from New York, even from Hawaii. Now here I'm going to take you on a quick tour, so we're going to go really fast if you don't mind. This was uh, Manger Square. This is a church that's built on the top of where they believe Jesus was born. And this is uh, Christmas Eve. They have the, an inside uh, church service. This is uh, on the Mediterranean Sea. This is a facility that Herod the Great, or some, as our Jewish mother called him, Herod the Baby Killer built. He named it after Caesar, and it was a great seaport, as well as they had amphitheaters and all sorts of other structures there. Then we go to the next one. This is uh, looking out from Megiddo. Now, you might not know of Megiddo very much. It's remotely mentioned in the Bible, but it is the place where it's believed that Armageddon, the great battle between Satan and Christ, will take place. It is a place where there had been many battles before, and it's a fertile valley, Jezreel Valley, and it's a, a place of great uh, strategic placement as well as uh, a great place of trade, or it was. We went to Nazareth, and this is a, a tour that we took in Nazareth. People would play the roles of the Nazarenes at that time, and this guy's playing the role of a carpenter, just like Jesus was, to try and simulate what it was like in the time of Jesus. We took a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and we sang worship songs on the Sea of Galilee, as we could imagine uh, Jesus and Peter walking on the water, and Jesus uh, standing on the water. We went to another place in the Jordan River where our group did some uh, baptisms, and we'll talk more about that later. We went to the Dead Sea where Val's legs floated so much she almost toppled backwards. And the next one, I tried to, to float, but I needed to pray, pray and ask God to give me the courage to jump in because it was so cold. This was New Year's Eve. And it was super salty, and, the, and it was so gross. I tasted it. It's not like our ocean at all. And that's what makes you float is that salt. Um, you guys couldn't get away from me without getting a few pictures of agriculture. Here you see some uh, newly planted crops and even corn in the background. Here you see on the right date palms, so those are what gives us the dates. And 
we saw a lot of these structures on the left where they grew a lot of different crops, but primarily bananas were grown in these shade or screen houses. We went through Jericho and there was no, uh, the wall of Jericho was not there. We didn't see that wall, but we saw Jericho, what they claim to be the oldest city in the world. And guess what we got in Jericho? Domino's pizza <laughs> and souvenirs. Now, if you go on a tour of Israel, you'll notice that these guys know how to do tourism. They say, don't buy souvenirs from anybody else. We'll take you to a very special place. And then they get you in there, and then they give you the hard sell. But, and then here we are in Jerusalem. And this is, a, 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 this is our tour guide, Mickey. And he believes that this is a place where Jesus did walk. It was the main thoroughfare. But also on top of that wall is a place where we believe, or he believes, that Satan took Jesus and tempted him to jump off uh, off the high place. This is all on the south wall of the Jerusalem where uh, our tour guide believed is where Pentecost took place, where, G where Peter preached to the masses and where 3,000 people were baptized. And the reason he believes it's here is because there were a whole bunch of ceremonial baths that were uh, available to give that many baptisms. Uh, we were, while we were walking around, we happened to witness, you know, just by accident, a bar mitzvah. So you can see the young man in the middle getting honored on his 13th birthday. Uh, we went to a site called Bethesda. That's mentioned in John chapter 5 where Jesus healed a man that had been sick for 38 years. The man said, I can't get healed because uh, when the pool moves, I can't get there fast enough. Next to that is a church called St. Anne's. This is built on what they believe was the house where Mary, the mother of Jesus, grew up. And we had a very special moment in there. If you walk in that church, there's a sign that says, please no talking. But singing is okay. And the singing was okay because it's got this great acoustics. So as Val and I went in, we were moved by the Spirit, and we were able to sing a couple songs a cappella, and we had other people join in and give us a thumbs up afterwards. Um, we went to the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane where Jesus pleaded with the Lord, not this way, but his way, but um, it was a, uh, we also went to a church right next to it called the, the Church of Agony. We walked on the road that we believe Jesus walked before he was crucified called the Via Dolorosa. We walked into a tomb that could have been where Jesus was uh, laid, and in the tomb, nothing. Jesus was not there. Praise the Lord. He has risen. We did have some fun. We nursed our, our time with a, sitting on top of an angry camel. Look at the camel's mouth. He was not happy that we were sitting on him. We did not go for a ride, though, because we got bad necks and, and ba bad neck and backs. But we did do some feeding of our romance. We took a romantic picture looking out over Jerusalem. You can see that dome. That's the mosque, the Dome of the Rock, looking over Jerusalem. I think we should give Mark a hand. <laughs> <laughs> he barely took a breath in between that. Thank you, honey. He, he's so good at telling the stories behind him and doing it succinctly, and I don't do succinct very well. So. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much. So the next thing that I want to tell you about is a site that we went to visit that meant a whole lot to me, and that is the Wailing Wall. Okay, what is the Wailing Wall? Well, it's the last remaining outer wall of the Jewish temple. And it's said to be the closest to the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is said to be. And so the Jewish people go there and they do wail, they do cry, they do pray, but they also bring their needs, they, their desires, you know, anything that they would bring, anything that all of us would bring to God, they bring to the wailing wall. And you can't really tell in the 
picture, but there are a lot of cracks in the walls, and there's paper that is stuffed inside there with prayers and names of people that people have brought and put there. I didn't do that, um, but I did plan to go to the Wailing Wall. In fact, when a year before, when I had purchased the tour, I made sure that the tour went to the Wailing Wall, and they assured me that, that it would. The reason is, and now a sidetrack, those of you who are doing the masterpiece process or have done it, okay, here at the church, you had to do, or you will have to do, a genogram. Well, the genogram looks at family generational sin, and it is really hard. It's a hard, in-your-face picture of sin over the ages in your family, in my family. So I had completed this genogram, you know, over a year ago with the leadership team that took it, and I prayed and released it to God like I'm telling people that come to me and say, I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed in this stuff. And I'm saying we've got to pray and we've got to release it to God. But I did something else as well. I vowed that I'm going to bring that stuff to the Wailing Wall. My dad's Jewish, so I have half a family that's Jewish. So it meant a tremendous amount to me. So I went to the Wailing Wall. And this is what the male side of the Wailing Wall looked like, because again, male and female were separated. And then the other side is the females. That's what the female side looked like. And the next picture shows me putting the sin of my family onto the wall, praying and releasing it. And I can tell you that I do feel a release. I do feel a release. I believe that God honored that. And I invite you, when you do your masterpiece process here in the church, um, to unveil all that you can be in in God's kingdom, that when you do your genogram and you look at the generational sin, do something like that to release it. God is faithful. He will take it. He says, bring me your heavy burdens. I will give you a yoke that's easy and light. Have the next slide, please. I want to introduce you to this couple that we became friends with. So we nourished ourselves also on friendships. This couple is from Texas, but originally from uh, Kenya, and guess what they were doing? They were there on their honeymoon. So we had the opportunity to have several meals with them, encourage them in their marriage, and we shared our testimony, and they encouraged us just by being there, you know, on their honeymoon, touring Israel with us. So that was a, and this is just one of the many friendships that we developed uh, with our tour, uh, just nourishing that, that social part of our lives. It was such an honor to be able to speak into their lives. And they soaked it in like a sponge. It was like, it was like they didn't realize that they could stay in love for their entire marriage. It's like people were telling them they couldn't. It wasn't going to happen. It's going to wear off. And we said otherwise. you know. And we even have two and a half years of separation and then back together involved in our marriage. And we, we would never change that for the world. It's our testimony that God has given us. And it opens doors like you can't believe. So we got to testify with them. It was awesome. So the next thing I want to talk about is I want to kind of dovetail into the presence of God. Okay? So we, are, we have nourished ourselves physically, spiritually, emotionally, cognitively, all that. Okay? Now we need to soak in the presence of God. And in order to do that, we have to have the presence of God, or somehow it has, to be, it has to be brought forth. Well, let me tell you, the presence can be stifled. 
the presence can be stifled. Qatar, Jordan, and Israel were all Muslim nations, and they had Muslim influences. This picture right here demonstrates that in Israel, where that big gold dome looks really pretty, it's a mosque, a Muslim mosque, and it's built right over the top of where the temple is said to have been, right over the top of it. And on the side, on the far right-hand side here, you can see a skinny tower. It's called a minaret. On the top of it, around the top of it, there are loud speakers, and I'm saying loud speakers with emphasis, because those loudspeakers broadcast five times a day Muslim prayers and chants over the city. It happened in all three countries. I'm going to tell you, particularly in Qatar, Doha, we absolutely could not get away from it. It was everywhere in every public facility, even in the shopping mall that we went to. We went to a, a regular shopping mall, you know, and we're busy, you know, doing all kinds of wonderful things and making purchases. And all of a sudden, you know, they come over the loudspeaker. They've got prayer rooms inside there, you know, for people to go into. It, it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, when you look at it on one side, that's really admirable that they pray so much. I'm not exactly sure who they're praying to, but I'm pretty sure they're not praying to our God. And so the presence of God was stifled. We found it just totally almost eerie and dark. And so what we decided to do was every time those horns went off, every time those prayers and chants came up, we were going to pray to our God. And the presence of God then was allowed to come forward, and we could soak in his presence during the time that they were soaking in I'm not sure what. <laughs> so it was, it was really amazing. Okay, the next slide, please. Another way that we immerse ourselves in the presence of God is we went to church. How many people go to church on their vacation? Well, God gave us that opportunity. We just happened to meet these folks. They're volunteers outside of one of the semifinal matches. They're from the Philippines. Now, they work in Qatar, but they were volunteering at the World Cup, originally from the Philippines, and they wound up being born-again Christians, and they invited us to church. So the next slide, please. They led us to a place called the Religious Complex. It was a facility outside of Qatar where all the non-Muslim churches met. It was uh, several different churches all in this one big facility, and they shared a facility between different churches. And this church just happened to be a church called Every Nation. If you're familiar with Every Nation, uh, they're all over the world. And we got to go to this service. All the people were Filipinos, but it was all in English. And their words for this year was miracles and then uh, through prayer, fasting, and consecration. Now, the next uh, video, I want you to pay attention real close, and then I'll reiterate. It's going to be real fast. But this is the pastor of the church. The sound isn't really good. I'll just reiterate. He said they've been there for 18 years. He started with six people, and now there's over 500. So be encouraged, Christians. Be encouraged. That was encouraging to us. He said God does the growing. God made it grow. All they did is show the goodness of God. And I can tell you, this was such a, a blessing to me and Val as we came into that church, and it was a contemporary church like ours, singing familiar songs that, that Val and I knew. We started to weep just out of the joy of being surrounded by the presence of God. 
It was an awesome time that we experienced there. We did that on purpose, did the contrast between, you know, the the Muslim influence and the, all the chanting and everything, and then into this church. You can't even imagine how relieving it is to get back into the, the presence of our true God. It was, it was just ama amazing. So I want to tell you about another time when we felt the presence of God, and that was we in Jordan decided that we would go to a Jordanian home and have dinner, and they arranged this with a few other couples, those people shared their lifestyle with us, their religion, their faith, and everything. Um, and we had dinner with them. And this is us there. Are we going to share the video? Are we going to show the video? Let's go ahead and show the video. Here we are at a local Jordanian home. And we are with several other couples. And they have made us a meal. There's that hummus there. Wonderful. And we're going to partaking this together. That lady the ladling the soup is actually an MD, and the, the, one, the man at the top of the screen is the one that actually um, told us all about the family. And then the lady who just left out of the picture was the matriarch of the family, the mother there, and the grandma. And they, they took us into their home, and it was wonderful. And at the end of it, um, they said, okay, you know, we're, we're done. It's time to go. And everybody left except us. Now, the reason we didn't leave is we were told that Moyad, our driver, wasn't there. And I can almost guarantee you that he was there. But the Holy Spirit blocked them from realizing he was there so that we could stay. Because when we stayed, we got to witness to this family. We got to talk about it our story and share our lives and our faith. And I met with that, that MD that was ladling soup, um, that, that doctor, um, medical doctor there in Jordan, and she was very interested in finding out about mental health and about Christian counseling. In fact, she asked for my website, which I gave her, and she even asked if I published anything, so I was able to give her um, the, the place to get the Victory Over Cancer book, which has all our testimonies, including our marriage testimony in there, and it speaks about Jesus. So by the time we left, we felt the presence of God. Hugs all around. People were beaming. The matriarch of the family just squeezed me super tight, invited us back any time, you know, that we were, happened to be in the Middle East and in Jordan again. And the presence of God was definitely there. It was incredible. Okay, friends, we're almost there. <laughs> May I tell you about our tour group? So we joined this tour group, and this was all born-again Christians that were on, and this was led by a born-again uh, tour guide and pastor. And one of the things that we did, besides surrounding ourselves with born-again Christians, was that we took care of each other, and we watched over each other physically and spiritually. We prayed for each other, and then the next slide... We witnessed a baptism. Of, there was like a five or six people in the group that got baptized. And during the baptism, we prayed, we cheered, we sang. And afterwards, the pastor had us break into small groups uh, and just had us share what we believed God was wanting us to release or to, to give to him. And then finally, outside of what could have been the tomb of Jesus, that tour group and us, led by our spiritual pastor, Pastor Mike, celebrated communion. And that was an awesome time uh, just reflecting on God's sacrifice. And I didn't take a picture of it, but on his forearm, right there, Pastor Mike had this word, remember. And under one of the E's was a tomb with a stone rolled away. 
And it was a reminder to him, and it was an awesome reminder to me that to remember that we worship a God that is not in the tomb, but who rose from the tomb and is alive. So this was a great way that we got blessed and nourished our bodies spiritually. And we hope that this also nourished you guys. The presence of God was so thick there. There was a, a reverence as we shared that communion. It was, it was really awesome. So I just want to summarize what we've been through today and invite the worship team to come up. I put it in red, and I still missed it, so thank you, Mark, for reminding me. <laughs> anyway, please, worship team, come on up while I summarize the points that we made today. Out of 1 Timothy 4, 6, in pointing out these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have been following realizing that these things in that scripture refer to God's words and how he tells us to live. His ways, his commands, including taking care of ourselves by nourishing every aspect of who he created us to be, physically, socially, emotionally, cognitively, spiritually, and more. And the second point where we got soaking in the presence of God, John 6:35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. He truly is all we need. Soak in his presence. So let me pray, and then we'll uh, stand for worship. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be nourished and to nourish others. We thank you, Lord, that you are the bread of life. We continue to put our focus on you, knowing that you are our Savior, you are our life, you are our hope. And we thank you that we do have a hope, even amidst the world's turmoils, even amidst the, the turmoils of our own life, whether it's uh, sickness or health issues or finance. Lord, our hope is in you, and we thank you that we have you, Jesus, not in the tomb, but alive, sitting right next to the Father, pleading on our behalf. So we thank you and praise you for this time and ask that you bless this word to everyone who hears it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.